All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, Kids, where are you guys all at? Can you guys raise your hands up? All right, so today we're talking about this uh, big word that starts with an R, reconciliation. Uh, Do any of your parents ever tell you that, like, you need to reconcile with your brother or sister? Nope. Nope. Well, you should tell your parents to use bigger words. Do any of your parents ever tell you to, like, apologize to your brother or sister? Yeah? Like, maybe, like, you do something mean to them, like, take their toy or, like, kick them or something like that. Does that ever happen at your house? Yeah? So what does it mean to go apologize to your brother or sister? Zeke, what do you think? So you tell them that you're sorry for what you did, and you ask them if you're okay. Do you guys agree with that? Is that good? All right, that's, that is kind of close to reconciliation, but reconciliation is a little more than that. It's like apologizing, but then trying to make things right. So it means that when we do things, right, if you, if you like punch your brother or sister, which don't do that, but if you do that, that hurts your relationship with them, right? Right? They, don't, they don't want to be your friend as much after you punch them than they did before you punched them. And so when we reconcile with someone, it means to make that relationship right again. We apologize, we ask them for forgiveness, and then we treat them the way that they should have been treated all along. And so today, kids, that's what we're talking about as grown-ups. We're talking about reconciliation, and it's something that's really, really important because we want to have right relationships with other people. And Jesus came and died, not just so that he could save us and make us right with his Father so that we could have a right relationship with God, but also so that we could have a right relationship with one another, with other people. Um, And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I would encourage you to go home and talk to your parents about that. Ask them about that. Ask them about what it means to be reconciled and how Jesus made that possible for us. Uh, So let's pray together, and then we'll get into uh, a couple passages this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that, that you are worthy. That you are able to break the seal and open the scroll because of who you are and what you've done. We pray this morning that as we talk together about reconciliation, that, that we would understand that uh, it is something that, that we should do, that we should pursue, that we should love, that we should celebrate as your people because it's something that you have purchased for us by your blood on the cross. We pray that you would use your spirit this morning to, to convict us and, and push us out of our comfort zones uh, and out of our complacency when it comes to the ways in which we apply and live out the good news of what you've done for us. Jesus, we pray that you would meet with us this morning and that you would help us to to pursue unity together even as we talk about tough topics. We thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that you have made us right. You have restored our relationship with your Father and you've restored our relationship with one another. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, if, if you're new at BC, we've been doing this series where we've been talking about the gospel and how it connects to, to these other ideas that are kind of being talked about in our culture right now. And so we've talked about race, 
we've talked about justice, and we, when we talked about justice, we also talked about uh, cultural Marxism and social justice, and today we're talking about reconciliation. And uh, for me, I think that this is the one that's going to make us most uncomfortable. This is the one that's going to kind of push the bounds of uh, what we think when we start to apply the gospel to these topics. And so uh, as we do this, right, if I say something this morning that really, really riles you up and really bothers you, uh, I hope that we can pursue reconciliation even as we're talking about reconciliation. And so if, if I say something that just makes you mad and gets under your skin, let's talk about it. Maybe not right after the sermon, maybe not today, but let's get together and talk about these issues so that we can pursue the realities of what it is that we're talking about together this morning. So my goal uh, is, is threefold today. Uh, the first is that the last three sermons have been, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the last three sermons have been a little long. So my first goal is to make this one a little shorter. Um, and so we'll see whether or not I accomplish that goal. The two big things, though, are we want to talk about why reconciliation is important, why we should care about it, why it matters. Uh, and then the second thing is what can we do about it? What can we actually do today instead of just talking about reconciliation? What are some practical steps that we can begin to take to pursue reconciliation? And specifically, we're kind of talking about racial or, or ethnic reconciliation today. And so I want to start by uh, reading Romans 6, 1 through 11. And so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. And if you think that this is a weird place to start to talk about reconciliation, I think it'll make sense in a little bit. Again, that's Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like So what's happening here is, is Paul, just before this part in Romans 6, was, was talking about just kind of the amazing grace that God pours out on us through the gospel, specifically with justification by faith. And so he's talking about this, this amazing and abundant grace, and then he asks this question. He says, because of this grace, right, should we say this then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we just keep on sinning so that we get more grace? Paul answers this question in verse 2. He says, by no means. It doesn't really seem like it in English, but in, but in Greek here, Paul uses the strongest possible form of negation that he can. Like he says, like, absolutely not. No way. It's like the, the thing that parents feel when like, you see your kid like, trying to touch a hot burner or stick their finger in the electrical outlet. This sort of like primal, visceral no comes out of you. Like This is what Paul is saying here. We must not understand the gospel this way. And he's going to explain it. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? And the answer that he's assuming that will come out of us is we, is we can't, right? If we've died to sin, we can't still live in it. And he's going to explain it with another question. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He explains this question, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
What Paul is doing here is he's explaining that baptism is an image of what happens to us uh, in conversion. When we are saved, when we become united with Jesus through faith, we are like what happens to us at baptism. We go down into the water. It's like being buried, like dying with Jesus. We come up out of the water. It's like being resurrected with him. And so he's explaining that we have union with Jesus both in his death and also in his resurrection life. And that has implications for us and how we relate to sin now. He says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection life like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, that's our body of sin, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying that if we are in Christ, if we've trusted in him by faith, if we're united with him in his death, then we have died to sin. Sin no longer has any power over us. We are free from it. We've been freed from both the penalty of our sin and the power of it. And that is good news for us. And so let's say that I hear all of that and I know all of that, and I, and I understand all of that, but, but I'm going to decide as a follower of Jesus that I'm just going to pass on Romans 6. I'm going to say, it's great that I'm dead to my sin. It's great that I'm freed from my sin, but I like my sin, and so I'm just going to keep on living in it. I'm just going to keep on doing it. I'm just going to ignore what Paul says in Romans 6 and, and kind of live my life how I want to live my life. Does that, does that sit well with you guys? No, right? If, if that's really where I'm at, I would hope that all of you would have some very significant pushback for me on that that you would come to me and you would say, Dan, how can you say that you're going to live like that? You are, you are not receiving one of the things that Jesus did for you on the cross. You're, you're ignoring this huge reality of the gospel that we as believers are freed from sin. I would hope that you would come to me and say that the way that I'm living is out of step with the gospel, that it's showing that I don't believe the gospel, that I'm not applying the gospel to my life, that you would come and you would push back very strongly because I'm taking some of the truth of God's word, saying Jesus has done this for me, and I'm saying I don't want it. And you would be right to push back on me in those ways. Now let's flip over to Revelation 5. And let's see if we still feel that way. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 of Revelation chapter 5. Which celebrates the truth of this passage, uh, proclaiming together that Jesus is worthy but let's look at why he's worthy. Let's look at why there's this response of worship to him. Not just because he opened the scrolls, but specifically for some other reasons. Look at verse 9. Look at the word for. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
So God, as he's inspiring John by the Holy Spirit, he gives him this vision of what's happening in heaven, inspires him to write these words down. He's tying Jesus' worthiness to what he did on the cross, and what he did on the cross ransomed a people from every tribe and language and people and nation. So Jesus ransomed this this multi-ethnic multitude by his blood on the cross. And that's the reason for some of this worthiness. That's the reason for some of this worship. A few weeks ago, we saw Paul in Ephesians 2 talk about how Jesus created in himself one new man in place of two, uh, ransoming them by the blood of his cross uh, that he might reconcile us both to God in, in one body. But it's really, it's much more than two, right? There in Ephesians, Paul is talking about two. He says one new man in place of the two because he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. But in Revelation, it's expanded out to talk about every tribe and language and people and nation. Uh, The IMB identifies over 11,000 people groups, 11,000 plus. And so really, it's it's, uh, one new man in place of the 11,000 plus in Jesus. That's that's what he creates. He's not just reconciling Jews and Gentiles. He's reconciling all of those people together through his cross, through his blood on the cross. That's part of the reason why he is worthy. And we can't miss the connection that that Paul makes and that John makes in Revelation between his death on the cross and these groups being ransomed. It is part of what he has done on the cross. It's part of the purpose of his death on the cross. And what that means, as Jesus ransoms these people through his cross by his blood, uh, across potential lines of division, what this means is that for us as followers of Jesus, for us as believers, reconciliation, whether we're talking about racial reconciliation or any kind of reconciliation, it is not optional for us as believers. Us being apathetic or ambivalent towards racial reconciliation is like us being apathetic or ambivalent towards fighting our sin. In both cases, we're looking at an implication of the gospel and really more than an implication of the gospel. Part of the reason why Jesus died, we're looking at those things and we're saying they are not for us. But if we're in Jesus, they are for us. And we need to be for them because if we're not for them, then we're disregarding and dismissing one of the things that Jesus died for. And that's a big deal. That's just as bad as me saying my sin doesn't really matter that much. That's just as bad as me saying, you know, our our family as brothers, sisters in Christ, that doesn't matter that much. It's just as bad as me saying the church doesn't matter that much. It's me looking at something that Jesus died for and saying that doesn't matter to me. And that's not okay. We need to care about reconciliation because by Jesus' blood, he paid for it. Through his death, he purchased it for us. And because of that, it is not an option whether or not we want to participate in it. The Christian life is not a buffet for us. If Jesus died for it, we want all of it. And reconciliation, racial reconciliation, ethnic reconciliation, it's one of those things that we need to put on our plate and participate in. Because if we're not willing to, we're not doing what Jesus calls us to do. We're not appreciating or valuing or taking part in the gospel. What I'm trying to communicate to you is that it's not right to say that racial reconciliation is an implication of the gospel. 
It's more than that. It's part of the purpose in the good news. It's part of the reason why Jesus died. So it's not optional. It's not something that we can pick or choose. Listen to this quote from John Piper. Let there be recurrent, earnest, biblical preaching and teaching on the blood-bought beauty of ethnic diversity according to Revelation 5.9. By your blood, you, that's Jesus, ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Racial harmony and unity and love and respect and delight cost Jesus his life. Not to want it. And I say this to every church in any culture that has a history of alienation. Not to love this, not to pursue this, is to belittle the blood of Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that quote is from like 1996. So it's not Piper responding to what's currently going on. It's him a long time ago, not in a politically charged culture, saying this truth. Right? Us not wanting it, us not pursuing it, us not loving it, is us belittling the blood of Jesus. Which is a big thing. And that's not something that's comfortable for me to sit in. And I hope it's something that's not comfortable for you to sit in. That we would not be people, we would not be a church that could just shrug that off and dismiss that. And so, what do we do with this? Right? If reconciliation is this important, if it matters this much, and it does, then what do we do about it? Here is uh, 11 practical steps that we can take towards racial and ethnic reconciliation. And this is just a start, right? This isn't me saying, like, this is the exhaustive plan to solve racial reconciliation. Uh, This is a start. Eleven things. First one, we need to remember that Christ has already purchased it, right? This isn't something that, that we have to accomplish, Jesus has already accomplished it in the same way that if we're in Jesus, then we've been freed from our sin. These are realities we need to walk in, not something that we need to achieve or obtain. Jesus has already done it. By his blood, he purchased all of these people. He has purchased reconciliation for us. And so it's not something we need to obtain or achieve. It's something that we need to participate in. Number two, actually, wait, number one, again, right? And I think that the reason why that's important that that's number one is because we don't want to pursue racial reconciliation instead of the gospel. We want to pursue racial reconciliation because of and out of the gospel. Right? We don't want to confuse those two things. Racial reconciliation is not the gospel, but it's part of what flows out of it. And that's, that's, that's important. Because as we cling to those things, it means that we're not going to lose the gospel as we pursue them. Number two, We need to be those people who take the initiative in reconciliation. And this goes for any kind of reconciliation, right? If we're a follower of Jesus, we should always be the people who are taking the lead in reconciliation. Husbands and wives, if you get in a fight in your house, you two should be racing to be the first person that reconciles. Husbands, as the leaders, we should always be that person, but I know that often we're mad and we think they were wrong, and so they should come to me and apologize. But if we're in Christ, that means that reconciliation is something that we should be about all of the time, whether we were right or whether we were wrong. We should be the people who are taking the initiative. In Matthew 5, Jesus says that if you're, you're at the altar worshiping God and you remember that your brother has something against you, right? 
They got something against you. You don't have anything against them. They have something against you. If you have an issue in your relationship with some other person and you're trying to worship God, you should leave the altar and go and be reconciled with them first and then come back. We should be the people who are taking the initiative to pursue reconciliation. Number three, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I mean, really, we need to be that all the time. But specifically, in the area of racial reconciliation, I think this is huge. And I don't just mean this face-to-face. I also mean this when we post things on the internet. Right? We should be the people that are quick to listen, quick to hear where other people are coming from. It's trying to understand their point of view before we just jump in and say what we want to say so that we can prove everybody wrong. Right? We need to be the people who are being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Because we want to represent the gospel as we work out this aspect of the gospel. Number four. Actually, number three again. I think also we want to be, be slow to offer facts and opinions. Um, and quick to offer compassion. Right? When stuff happens, like what happened this week, uh, where a man, Jacob Blake, was shot in front of his kids. I don't care why it happened. I don't care about the events surrounding. I'm not saying that doesn't matter because it does matter. But when we see, when we hear things like that happening, it should break our hearts and devastate us. We should weep with people who are weeping. We should not be people who come in and say, well, I watched the video and this or that. We should be people who say, someone who was created in God's image was shot and that should bother us. And someone else who was created in God's image is dealing with the baggage of what happened. We should grieve the realities that are happening in the world. We shouldn't be people that are quick to come in with arguments and positions and political arguments. We should be people who are quick to come in with compassion. Right? If someone from our church died of coronavirus, we would not go to their family and say, well, you know, statistically it's unlikely that someone would have died. And so we would come and we would grieve with them because someone died. That's what matters. Number four, we need to go out of our way. Out of our way. We need to inconvenience ourselves to show personal, affectionate oneness with Christians of all ethnic backgrounds. And this right here, this is an area where we as a church recognize we need to grow. We're not great at welcoming new people into the community that we have. And so right away we should say, yes, Amen. We need to do this more. We need to go out of our way. We need to inconvenience. Something. Because that's who Jesus calls us to be. That's who he's made us to be. We need to be the people that are standing up and fighting against injustice. Number six. We need to pursue relationships and partnerships with people who are different than us and be willing to learn. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know where our blind spots are. And and this doesn't just work in racial reconciliation. As we went through the merger process with Fifth Street, uh, even though that didn't end up happening, they are a church that's very, very different than us. And as we went through that process, we learned a whole lot of stuff about us. 
because it forced us to think about why we do the things we do, why we make the choices we make. It forced us to look at the reasons why we are different from them and they are different than us. And it helped us learn more about us as we grew in relationship with people that were very different than us. That is a good thing. So we need to pursue some of those relationships. Some of that is corporately, right? As a church, as elders, uh, we need to grow in relationships with pastors that are different than us, that have different experiences than us so that we can learn more about what it's like to serve parts of the community that we currently aren't serving. We need to grow in these ways because we don't know our blind spots and we need other people to help us see them. Number seven, we need to understand that our perspective is not what is right and normal. It, it also isn't necessarily wrong and abnormal. But we need to understand that the way we look at the world most often is that the way we look at it is right and normal. And so, for example, uh, for a long time when I read the New Testament, I pictured the disciples and Jesus as a bunch of white guys sitting around. And then I learned that Galilee is not in Europe or America. I, I was pretty dumb. But often, you know, we, we just picture things how we see them. We picture them through the lens of our, of our experience. We pick up a new fiction book. We read. We, if the characters aren't particularly described, we picture them in the way we picture most people. Recently, I was reading a fiction book again uh, for the second time, and I realized that, that one of the main characters is a person of color, and I had never pictured them that way because the first time I just kind of blew through that description. I was like, whoa, that's super weird. I was envisioning this person all wrong because I was just thinking about it from my perspective. So we need to recognize that our perspective is not what is right and normal. Listen to this quote. Evangelicals must recognize that whiteness is not normal and everything else abnormal. What is normal is in the eye of the beholder. Neither the vast majority of the world's population nor the vast majority of those who still need to hear and respond to the gospel are middle-class or wealthy white Americans. The U.S. is becoming increasingly black and brown. This means that if evangelicals want to be culturally effective, relevant, and credible as we move forward into more black and brown ethnic territory, we must intentionally engage and do life with the increasing black and brown demographic in our communities. Right? That's, that's, that's not news. That's, that's statistics. And I specifically think about missions, right? The, the 1040 window where the most unreached peoples are. Those are places where the people are not like us. And so if we want to be effective at reaching those kinds of places, we need to talk to and dialogue with people that are there, that know what it's like, that know how the gospel needs to go forth in those communities. Right? If, if we tried to go over to India where Dinesh is and make a church look exactly like ours, it, it would fail miserably. Right? We need to understand his perspective and hear what he has to say so that we can help him do ministry in a way that makes sense in his environment. Number eight, we need to care about racial reconciliation even when it's not easy, which really is all the time. But sometimes it feels easy because sometimes we can just, you know, like a post on Facebook or share something on Facebook and think that we've actually done something. And I'm not saying posting on social media is worthless. It's, it's, it's not worthless. But don't just do that. Don't change your profile picture to a certain color and then think, well, I've really done something to stand up for, for justice. Actually take steps to do something to pursue reconciliation. Take the initiative 
Uh, don't just wait for an opportunity. Number nine, we need to call out the sin of racism when we see it. This should not be controversial at all, right? We, we should be people who are calling out sin, any sin when we see it, right? If you see me sinning, you should come and talk to me and say, hey, you should not do that thing that you were doing. If I see you sinning, I should come to you and confront you. We should be a family together as believers who are confronting each other in our sin, regardless of what the sin is. But when we see the sin of racism, we should be calling it out. And as we do that, we need to recognize that we are not the Holy Spirit. Right? Specifically, when we're talking about racism, we're talking about a, a heart behind actions, a heart behind speech. And you and I do not know each other's hearts. And so instead of coming and saying, like, you did this thing, and this is why you did that, and this is why it's wrong, we should come and we should say, hey, I'm, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I don't know your heart. I don't know your motives. I don't know your thinking. But what I saw seemed off to me. And so I would encourage you to spend some time praying about whether or not that was a racist thing, whether or not that was anger, whether or not that was hate speech. Right? We should be people who are confronting sin, but doing it in a way that's gracious and recognizing that we are not infallible, inerrant, omniscient people. We're not the Holy Spirit. Number 10, we need to learn how to lament and grieve with others in response to racism and injustice. Next week, we're going to talk about lament, and we're going to have a time in the service where we can lament together some of the things that are happening. Uh, and so we're going to talk more about this one next week. Number 11, we need to celebrate the unity that we have in Jesus even when we disagree. Uh, one of the things that we've talked about a lot as we've gone through this series is just the potential uh, for all of these things, everything right now. It feels like there's this big, huge potential to divide us, right? Whether or not you think coronavirus is an issue to be taken seriously, whether or not you want to wear a mask, whether or not you want to send your kids to school, whether or not, you know, whoever you're going to support in the next election or whether you're going to vote or not vote, what you think of the post office, right? Everything right now is so divisive. And we need to be people that even as we're pursuing reconciliation are recognizing that we're pursuing it from a place of unity, not a place of division. And so if we disagree about how some of this stuff works out, that is okay. Because union in Christ matters more than that. And so, again, right, this is not the end of the conversation. This is the beginning of the conversation. The goal is not to solve all of these problems on Sunday mornings. The goal is to start us thinking about these things so that we as a church can begin to do something about them other than just talking about them. We're talking about these things so we can take the truth of the gospel and connect them to what people are talking about in our world, what people are wrestling with in our world. And when it comes to reconciliation, we should be the people that are talking about it the most because it's one of those things that Jesus died for. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, I would encourage you to, to spend some time praying, asking the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin, to, to challenge you, to show you the ways in which maybe you are not valuing something that Jesus died for, and that you would ask God to cause you to care more about these things, not just so that you can be somebody who cares about them, but so that you can be somebody who takes action in light of it, and then come forward 
And as you celebrate the Lord's Supper today, remind yourself right, that we are all one in Jesus. Right, this multi-ethnic multitude that Jesus died for is a real thing. And when we celebrate Jesus' death, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are celebrating our unity, our union, not just with him, but with all believers. And so let's pray together, and then there'll be some time for you to do that. Jesus, we thank you that, that you were always obedient to your Father, that, that you left heaven and came into this world to, to save it and to redeem it, to save us and redeem us, that you died to, to save us from our sin, to free us from the penalty, paying the penalty on our behalf, and also to, to deliver us from our enslavement to it. We thank you that by your blood we are free from sin. And we pray that you would help us in light of that to be people who hate our sin and fight it. And Jesus, we thank you that that by your blood, through your death on the cross, you have ransomed people from every tribe and nation and language and people that there in heaven will be people from every race, every nationality, every language, every tribe, every group we can imagine, every potential source for division, you will conquer through your cross. And we pray that you would help us as as individuals and help us as a church to not diminish or dismiss that aspect of what you did on the cross, but that you would cause us to love and pursue and work for all kinds of reconciliation. We pray now that as we move forward in our service to to celebrate your death through the Lord's Supper, that you would help us to respond rightly, to worship you rightly. As a Savior who came to redeem people who are like us and people who are different than us, and that you would help us to represent that reality in the way that we live our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.